Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I am Rabbi Barry Chesler, and today's Daf is Masachet Chagiga Yudet, Tractate Chagiga 19. Our Daf today has two relatively long sugyot on the first Amud, and one relatively short sugya on the second Amud. We begin with the conclusion of Rav Nachman's resolution to the apparent contradiction between two Baraito. One Baraita states that purification is dependent upon intention, whereas the other Baraita states that the act of washing or immersion is determinative, not the intention. Rav Nachman proposes that in the case of Chulin, intention is not necessary, but in the case of Maser, it is. But who says intention is not necessary with respect to Chulin? We have a Mishnah in Mikvaot, which teaches that a wave of 40 Se'ot the volume for a kosher mikvah, which detaches itself from the ocean and falls on a human and utensils, the human and the utensils are considered pure, that is, immersed in the mikvah. The juxtaposition of humans and utensils provides a comparison regarding intention. The utensils themselves, as inanimate objects, can have no intention to become pure. So too a person does not require intention to become impure, for how could he have expected the wave to break over him? But, perhaps a person was actually awaiting for such a wave to immerse the utensils. We then can compare the utensils to the person. Just as a person has intention, so too the utensils must also have intention to be immersed. Why must we state this ruling? We might think that we forbid it so that we not think that we could immerse in a torrent of rain rushing down the slope. Alternatively, we might think we forbid the heads of the waves on account of the caps of the waves. Rashi explains that rainwater may only be used for a mikvah if it is gathered water. He notes that Rashin, the heads of the waves, are connected to the ground, meaning the sea, whereas the arches are seen as detached. He calls the kefi in the middle of the waves, which stands in the air like a kind of vault or arch. If one threw utensils in this part of the wave, it is not counted as immersion, as the Talmud will soon explain. So the Mishnah comes to teach us that we do not so decree. How do we know that one cannot immerse in caps of the waves? A Brighta is brought which states precisely that. We immerse in the heads but not in the caps of waves, since one may not immerse in the air. Now the Talmud attempts another explanation, for Achulun does not re- require intention for immersion. A Mishnah from Achshirin is cited, Fruit which falls in a stream of water, and one whose hands are impure takes it out, the hands become pure, and the fruit are not in the category of kiyutan. Kiyutan is the catchphrase in Leviticus 11.38, which teaches that when water comes into contact with seed, it becomes susceptible to impurity, so that if it subsequently comes into contact with something impure, it becomes impure itself. In the case of the Mishnah, what is missing is the lack of intention. 
since the contact with the water was unintentional. If, however, one put one's hands in the water in order to wash them, then the hands become pure, but the fruit are now in the category of kiyutan. The point of the Mishnah for our purposes here is that one's hands become pure by contact with the water, regardless of intention. But Rabba raises a difficulty to Rav Nachman. He who immerses for Hulan and considers himself immersed for that purpose is forbidden to eat Maser. If he has intention for Hulan, then he is eligible to eat Hulan, but if not, then no, suggesting that intention does matter for Hulan. But this is answered by reading the Mishnah to say that even though he is considered eligible for Hulan, he is forbidden to eat Maser. Understanding the Mishnah to now say that the issue is not intention for Hulan, but rather that even if he has intended to purify himself for Hulan, this does not help him in the case of Maser. A further objection is raised from the end of the Mishnah. If he immersed without intention for purification, then it is as if he did not immerse. This must mean that it is as if he did not immerse at all, again suggesting that intention is necessary for Hulan. But this is answered by restricting the application to Maser. So if he did not intend to immerse, it is as if he did not immerse for Maser, but it is still is acceptable for Hulan, for Hulan does not require intention. While Rabbi taught that Rav Nachman was, while Rabbi thought that Rav Nachman was merely pushing him off with his interpretation of the Mishnah, he went and found that Rav Nachman was indeed correct. For there is a Baraita which states explicitly that if one immerses without intending Tara, he may not eat Maser, but he is permitted to eat Hulan. The second Sogya begins with the statement of Rabbi Elazar. One who immerses and comes out of the water may declare himself intending to be pure for whatever he wants. In other words, even though one went into the mikvah without intention, there is a window of opportunity afterwards to rectify the situation. An objection is brought from Rebraita which states that if while his foot is still in the water he had intended for a less serious matter, he may change his intention to a more serious matter. But if he ascended completely, he may not change his intention. In other words, he may only change his intention while he is considered as still being in the mikvah. Does this mean that he is considered as not having intended even for the minor matter? No. For while he is in the water, even though he has already intended, he may change it. But if he ascended without having intended, he may still now intend. And if he had intended, he may not change, which introduces the third level. To summarize, while in the water he may change his intention, once he leaves the water he may declare an intention if he had not previously declared one, but he may not change one he had declared. The Talmud now wants to know who is the Tana who teaches the case of his foot still in the water. According to Rabbi Padat, the answer is Rabbi Yehuda. Based on a Mishnah which states that a mikvah which has exactly 40 out of water into which two descended for immersion, and they immerse one after the other, the first one is considered pure, but not the second one. Rabbi Yehuda says that if the legs of the first one are still touching the water, even the second one is tahor, pure. The issue here is that some of the water from the required 40 seot has left the mikvah on the body of the first person, who is no longer in the mikvah. But, if his feet are still in the mikvah, we may consider the water on his body as being in the mikvah, and thus meeting the required measurement. 
Rav Nachman said in the name of Rabba Baravuha that the controversy concerns the additional levels of purity imposed by the rabbis for which the rabbis require immersion, but that if the intent of the immersion was to move from a biblical state of impurity to a biblical state of purity, everyone agrees that the second person would be considered impure. In this matter, then, Rav Nachman agrees with Rabbi Bedat. There is an alternate version. Here, Rav Nachman, in the name of Rabbi Baravuha, says the Machoke concerns immersion to go from biblical impurity to biblical purity, but regarding the stringencies imposed by the rabbis, everyone agrees that even the second person is rendered pure. In this reading, there is a disagreement between Rav Nachman and Rav Padat. Ula says that he asked Rabbi Yochanan about Rabbi Yehuda. What would be the law for one who immerses with needles and spinning forks on the head of the first person? Do we say that Guda applies for Rabbi Yehuda, but not Guda Seik? Or perhaps Guda Seik also applies? Rabbi Yochanan replied that the answer is in a Baraita. In the case of three pools in a wadi on a slope, an upper, a lower, and a middle one, both the upper and the lower one have 20 seot of water, and the middle one has 40. They are connected by a torrent of rainwater. Rabbi Yehuda says that Meir used to say, one may immerse in the upper pool. Ula provides his own Baraita, which says that Rabbi Yehuda says that one may immerse in the upper pool, but I say only in the lower and not the upper. Rabbi Yochanan replied, it is taught this way, then I accept it. The second Baraita is determinative because it records the Machloket in the name of the one teaching the original teaching. So it is quite possible that Rabbi Yochanan's Baraita was missing the key element, that is the contrary teaching of Rabbi Yehuda. Now we can briefly explain the two principles invoked here, Guda Chait and Guda Seik. Guda Seik is the principle by which a wall or partition, in our case a mikvah, can be said to join what is above it, so that legally it fulfills the necessary quantity, though it has the appearance of not doing so. Guda Chait permits a wall or partition to reach down. At last encountered this in Masechah Sukkah, where the schach can be on different levels physically, but halachically is considered one surface. In our case, Guda Seik allows the waters of the middle pool to extend to the upper pool and so permit immersion in it, while Guda would do the same for the lower pool. Perhaps because it, because it is the nature of water to run downhill that Rabbi Yehuda permits Guda in our case. There is a little sugya which takes up the line in the Mishnah that states that he who immerses for Chulin is considered pure for Chulin. The Talmud asks whose opinion this is, and answers the rabbis, who teach a distinction between chulin and maser, since one who is only immersed for chulin is ineligible to eat maser. When the Mishnah teaches about midras, however, the maser is omitted. The clothes of the Amma'aretz are midras for the purushim, the clothes of the purushim for ochlei truma, and the clothes eaters of truma read Midras for Kodesh, are Midras for Kodesh, and the clothes of Kodesh are Midras for the ashes of the red heifer. This, the Talmud suggests, is the Shitab Rabbi Meir, who claims the rules for Maser and Chulin are the same. Can we say then that the Resha, the beginning of the Mishnah, is the Rabbis, and the Seif at the end is Rabbi Meir? Yes. Rabbi Acha Barada actually teaches the end of the Mishnah as having five levels, and believes the entire Mishnah is the Rabbis. In other words, he has a different reading of our Mishnah. The Daf concludes with the saying of Rav Mari 
He says that Chulin, which has become pure according to the laws of Kodesh, has become like Kodesh. We will discuss this when we return tomorrow. Until then. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.